0: Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and I'm delighted to have back on the podcast Christine Walters paintner I have been a fan of Christine for many years. Um, There have been a couple of her books that have uh, touched me deeply. Uh, The Soul, uh, uh, I always get it wrong. Uh, The Soul of a Pilgrim. I think that's right. (laughs) And um, more recently, The Soul's Slow Ripening, because a friend of mine and I are reading that and taking a trip to Ireland. And and so um, I'm rereading that, I should say, but I love that and many of her other books. But Christine is also a beautiful poet. She's also the online abbess of Abbey of the Art, which is a virtual monastery and a global ecumenical community integrating contemplative practice and creative expression. She leads online retreats. I have several friends who've been a part of numerous retreats that she's led. And um, I highly encourage you to check out Abbey of the Arts. Uh, I will... Have a link to that in the show notes. Um, please check that out; it's fantastic. So, uh, without saying any more, let me welcome Christine Walters paintner back to the podcast. Hi, Christine.
1: Hi, Anita. Thank you so much for having me back. It's lovely to lovely to chat again.
0: <laughs> Always good to, to talk with you. Um, I would love for you to say a word for those who aren't familiar with um, Abbey of the Arts. Uh, and and how you why you founded that, and it is really blossoming and growing, and you do a wonderful thing there. Talk about the mission of that and how that got going, and what are some favorite things um of yours that are a part of Abbey of the Arts?
1: yeah, well, it's been um growing for the last fifteen years mm-hmm. and I went to graduate school to get a PhD thinking I wanted to be an academic, and then I started working as an adjunct professor uh, at a university, and I realized it was not what I wanted to do, and my creative spirit and my contemplative spirit were pretty suffocated in that environment, and I loved retreat work and spiritual direction and things like that, so... I, yeah, I started, uh, it was started with a blog where I was trying to basically retrain myself from being an academic writer into a writer who could, you know, reach more people and reach sort of a broader audience. And that was the sort of, you know, original germ or seed of the idea. And then it just has grown over the years. And I think a year or two later, I offered my first online retreat. And that's been a great gift and it's, it's essentially has flowered into a community and for a lot of people uh, it might be their primary community even and we have a lot of people who have who are either part of um, a Christian domination and still you know want the nourishment that we offer or and we also have people who've left the church entirely but are still looking for that kind of ancient grounding in, in spiritual practices and so yes and, and the last a few years, particularly sparked by the pandemic, we started to create um, online pilgrimages, so people who can't travel you know, to Ireland, and we're actually not even doing in-person programs just at the moment still, uh, and then the other thing we're doing is our prayer cycles of week-long um, sets of morning and evening prayers on different themes, Soul of a Pilgrim is one of them. Uh, And I love that project and that's been very nourishing and that's a completely free resource if people go to Abbey of the Arts, they can listen to the audio podcast. Some of them have video podcasts as well and there's beautiful songs and contemplative readings and yeah, so it's, it's just, I just love following where the spirit calls. (laughs) It just keeps going. So (laughs) how, how have you
0: grown so much? Um, Because I can't imagine Usually creatives do not love social media and mm-hmm. sitting there and working on promotion and all of that, but you seem to have just grown steadily and maybe it's word of mouth. What What is it or how have yeah. you grown?
1: Yeah, it's mostly word of mouth because we don't do very much advertising at all. Um, we tried to do a little Facebook advertising and it just didn't feel right. And I, I don't, yeah, I don't actually know whether it was effective or not, but uh, I I tend to think of, I don't tend to think of myself as a business-minded person, but I think because I'm somewhat adept at the technology, just naturally, I that's been a gift for me. I'm also someone who, even though I'm highly creative, I also have a lot of organizational skills, which I think has really benefited me. And the biggest gift for me in the last year and a half has been having an assistant who's taken on a lot more hours to Really help. And that's been an enormous, Wonderful. enormous gift. So yeah, yeah. having help is <laughs> that's big. The There's usually go.
0: that tipping point where, you know, yeah. you know you need it, but yeah. not quite, not quite. And then you yeah. get it and whoa, yes, it's really big. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <Good>. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, um, you're a writer. You I mean, you've written many books of, you know, uh nonfiction books of prose, but you are also a poet. Have you always been, is this been something that's in a part of your DNA for for decades or more recent?
1: Yeah, I've I've been a writer since I was a child, and I wrote, I wrote poetry and stories as a child, and I loved that. I always wanted to be a writer. Um, even when I got my PhD, I was thinking it would make me a better writer, and I I didn't, I didn't realize how much of an academic writer it would make me. But I was able to <laughs> overcome that, thankfully, and. Um, Yeah, I've loved poetry for years and years and years and have written it and it wasn't actually until I moved to Ireland and found a really wonderfully supportive community of other writers and poets uh, that really kind of encouraged me to take it seriously as a craft and then to start submitting poems and go through that whole process and then start publishing collections of poetry so I'm really grateful, I feel like Ireland was a muse for my my poet self in a particular way. Yeah. I love that. that.
0: I have watched and I don't know if you have or not, but it seems that poetry is on the rise. I think of Padraig Otuma. I think of, um, uh, Morgan Harper Nichols, if people are on Instagram and, or know her work, um, more recently, uh, Oh, her name is just escaping me. Um, That's all right. So she wrote The Lord is Our Courage, but then followed it up with um, a book that is also based on the 23rd Psalm, but more poetry. And it just seems like this is coming out more and more. I don't know. um, Talk about why or if you're noticing that the creative arts are becoming more elevated. Am I, you know, is this perception or is this reality?
1: Yeah, I, I I definitely think that, and you know, when I started teaching online and writing years ago, I was I was integrating a lot of poetry into my work, and it was much harder to find poems online, or or it would be you know usually like Mary Oliver or David White or the, you know the the people that who I absolutely love, and not as much you know diversity of other poets. But now, of course, you can find so many poetic voices and i do think it has a lot to do with accessibility and you know people some poets making use of things like social media and instagram as a way of making it more accessible poor akutuma's yeah his podcast i think is really making that accessible as well so and you know i mean poetry speaks so much to the heart and i think perhaps there have been a lot of people who think oh i don't really get poetry <laughs> but Perhaps now, because it's it's so easy to be exposed to it and to hear it spoken, which I think makes it can make a big difference. I agree. Um, and I think a lot of people are using it, particularly I, you know, obviously in my work in more meditative uh, contexts. And so, you know, that sense of the poem opening up a particular kind of space yes. that just prose doesn't necessarily yes. do. I
0: agree. I realize how often I open a spiritual direction session with a poem as a Mm. prayer that opens up conversation, et cetera, as we move Mm. into that space. Uh, Also, I believe the more people read poetry, you know, you can hear that criticism. I I don't understand it, but I I feel like it's like anything else. The more we read it, uh, Mm. the more we begin to understand it as well. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think of poems as like dreams, you know, waking dreams where, you know, it's not, you won't get the poem in full on its first reading. You know, just like when you wake up from a dream, you don't know what it means, or you might have an inkling, but it really takes a little bit of working with it. And, you know, I often think reading a poem at least, you know, two or three times helps the images start to, you know, resonate more deeply with your heart. And, you know, there are poems that have spoken to me for many years and lines from those poems come back to me, you know, now and shimmer in whole new ways. So, yeah, there's a there's a depth and a mystery to that poetic language that I think is a real gift if we allow it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I, I agree. I read in the introduction of your book and let me mention the name. It's called Love Holds You. Poems and Devotions for Times of Uncertainty, Love Holds You. Um, I think the cover is beautiful, and I love the name, Um, Love Holds You. But I read in the introduction, um, Christine, that you wrote this during the pandemic. And I'd love to hear how that influenced your writing. And um, talk a little bit about where this particular volume came, how it came to be
1: yeah well, you know, like like everybody in this on the globe, mm-hmm. the pandemic hit, and i you know was sitting with so much uncertainty and um yeah, just feeling disoriented and undone in so many different ways and 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 you know, i had to because of lockdown, had to stay, you know, we had a i think a two or three kilometer radius. So it was very, you know, we weren't allowed to go very far. So there was, but there was such a gift in that of, of being forced to stay at home as someone who likes to travel and often can have like a restlessness in my mind, you know, dreaming of places I want to go. There was a real gift in, in staying put and, and discovering that I was actually falling more and more in love with all the ordinary, moments of my life, uh, while also acknowledging and honoring and holding space for this tremendous grief that was also happening. So holding the space for both. But, you know, my, I think for me in general, in my spiritual life, my conviction that love is the ground of all being and that love is, you know, the, yeah, ultimately what holds us, as the title says, as opposed to, you know, anxiety or disarray or chaos or violence or any of those things, um, that the, the that when we connect to that deep foundation of love, that we then have some resources and capacity to meet the places of uncertainty and unknowing. So this collection was inspired by by that time and thinking about how might I meet the world and this moment we're living in. And how might love come back to meet me in that process as well?
0: I so appreciate that. And I loved this in the introduction. Um, Writing poems, you say, about love became an act of cultivating trust. The moments that trust dissolved, I would pick up my pen and try and remember what I loved or how love had been made visible to me that day. And I loved... Hearing about that practice, and I thought for all of us, whether we pick up a pen or not, we certainly can. In those moments when trust dissolves, we can stop and think about, uh, even if we don't write about it, think about and remember what I loved or how love has been made visible to me this very day. And so I really appreciated that, especially um, understanding that you are writing this you know, during the pandemic, when there was so much uncertainty, as you've already spoken of. Well, I love the format of this book. Um, I really appreciate, I uh, often when I talk with someone who um, has written a nonfiction book with content, but at the end of it, they pose some helpful questions. I don't think I'd thought of that in um, doing something like that with a book of poems. Talk about what it is you do and what prompted you to, to make the book of uh, this format?
1: Well, I have to be very honest and say that the idea for the specific format it comes in is actually from my editor. And I was grateful because I thought, yeah, exactly. I thought, oh, I never, <laughs> I never thought about including reflection questions and affirmations with poems and I thought, oh, that could work really beautifully. So it was after I turned in all the poems that she then suggested this to me. And then I went, I got to go back through and think about, okay, um, yeah, how, how would I invite the reader more deeply in? And so I write um, a question or two for each of the poems to help break it open in a particular way. And then there's an affirmation if that's a helpful Thing for somebody just to, you know, can just be a a prayer that they offer at the end of the poem to help them, to help the reader sort of move into that poetic space a little bit more.
0: I love that. You know, I hadn't even, it hadn't even dawned on me that, that there was this affirmation after it. And because last, um, or a week or two ago, anyway, recently, One of the podcasts was with myself and a dear friend of mine who used to, we used to co-host radio together, all about positive affirmations and how, what that can look like in your life. And I didn't think about these as these, just the word affirmation. Um, Yeah, I I appreciate that and love that. Uh, Well, I love the format. Good for your editor, number one, because I think this also helps us understand poetry better when uh, some questions are posed to make us think a little bit more deeply. So thumbs up to your editor, because I just love the format. Well, I always think it's marvelous when I hear um, a writer of any kind, but especially a poet, read her own work. And um, I would love for you to do that with a few poems um, and maybe let me ask you, even before we get that, you've broken it up into several sections. Uh, what, you know, what, um, I don't know if you thought about these sections as you were writing poems during the pandemic, or when you looked at your body of work, they sort of fell into these sections. How did you decide that?
1: Yeah, it was it was definitely the latter where I had... Um... I think there's maybe about 72 poems in total. And I think when I got to around 50 poems, I started to think about the shape of the collection. I knew I knew in writing the poems that I was writing about love, that part I knew. So I was definitely writing the poems with that in mind. But then when I got to enough, sort of enough poems where I knew I was like getting close to a collection, then I started, I basically printed them out and I made piles and I thought, okay, what would be, what are some different themes or ways of thinking about love that are showing up in these poems? And so, you know, I I have one of the sections is living intention, which for me is, is actually so much about what, what poetry even means for me, which is to write about living in a world that feels, that is both beautiful and amazing and wondrous and full of love. And that's also full of really terrible, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching experiences and moments. So how do we live in that tension? And There's a section about love seeking and finding, which is, you know, kind of more about that, that desire for love and wanting that sense of of fulfillment and what, you know, how do we move through that kind of energy and space? And then there's a long section love of the ancestors because I've, um, been doing a lot of ancestral work for many, many years. And, uh, yeah, those poems sort of just came emerged, uh, um, yeah, of their own accord, and yeah. more so than some of the others. And then I have a few poems about the love of the mystics, because I, I can't help myself of, of <laughs> at least that. bringing some of the mystics in yeah, to the work. <laughs> That's
0: great. Well, I thought, I would love for you to start with, um, I guess, especially as you were writing this during the pandemic, um, there's this poem toward the beginning um, that has a, a title. Well, you'll hear it. It's, it's called In a Dark... Time in a dark time, and which sounds dark, doesn't it? The title is dark, but you were mm-hmm. writing the story of the pandemic. I would love for you to read that one for us and maybe, you know, pose a question or so, how, whatever you'd like to do.
1: Yeah, that was definitely one of the earlier poems that emerged. And it was sometimes I wake up with images. And I know that this is going to be a poem or a blessing or a prayer of some sort. And, and what happened was I, I, I actually had to get up early in the morning to take my dog out to pee, which often, (laughs) often happens and, and I have to put on my flashlight and so my eyes had to adjust you know from the darkness to the light and so anyway that's sort of where the image came to me and I I thought and it was early in the pandemic when a lot of people were trying to give explanations for what was happening in a way that I thought really was bypassing the real grief that people needed to to embrace and honor so this is called in a dark time <clears throat> do not rush to make meaning When you smile and tell me what purpose this all serves, you deny grief a room inside you. You turn from thousands who cross into the great night alone, from mourners aching to press one last time against the warm flesh of their beloved, from the wailing that echoes in the empty room. When you proclaim who caused this, I ask you to pause Rest in the dark silence, first before you contort your words to fill the hollowed out spaces. Remember the soil will one day receive you back to Sit where sense has vanished, control has slipped away with futures unraveled, where every drink tastes bitter despite our thirst. When you wish to give a name to that which haunts us, You are refusing to sit with the woman who walks the hospital hallway and hears the beeping stop again and again, to be with the man perched on a bridge over the rushing river. Do not let your handful of light sting the eyes of those who have bathed in darkness." Wow. So the the questions that I offer, can you sit in the quiet darkness and what are the experiences that prompt you to reach for the light too quickly in that sense of just that invitation. I think that's one of the gifts of poetry is it can really invite us into that space of resting in the darkness of releasing our control of our need for answers and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, letting the darkness hold us.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think we live in a world that does not want us to sit too for, for very long in any one space. Yeah. Uh, the, we are not invited into a space of contemplation. We have to purposefully move into that space, don't we? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm. How about, well, let me let you pick here. Um <laughs> this is so hard. There's I just can't recommend this enough. Love Holds You. What a beautiful book. Um and so there's so many that, that just leaped out at me. Um, let me let you pick everything rises or you did not come here.
1: <laughs> I will uh, see. I think I'll do everything rises. I just need to get to the right page. <laughs> okay. everything rises blue light of stars red richness of blood yellow warmth of sun green shoots of spring hyssop yarrow woodruff each word a world an orbit around the sun wedge of lemon explosion on the tongue smell of fresh melon give thanks for the first bite of a summer cherry juice gushing over parched lips no longer needing to seek you have been found by love Mm. that comes from this i think this very um this i think this thing that has grown in me over many years of contemplative practice of re of realizing how i no longer need to reach and strive so much that what I am seeking is also seeking me. And so sometimes when we are seeking for love, we may grasp a little too much. And yet if we just turn our eyes to the beauty of the world, (laughs) there it is. (laughs) There it is loving us. (laughs) I love that.
0: Yeah. There it is loving us. I have to say uh, I gravitated toward this next, next title. Where has the wild woman gone? (laughs) (laughs) I really I just loved the title. And of course, I wanted to quickly turn and see what that was all about. I would love for you to to read that one for us.
1: Where has the wild woman gone? I have seen her bathing in the lake, long hair drying in the breeze. She sits on a stone at the water's edge for hours and does nothing Her teeth have bits of dandelion leaf stuck between them. She still composes those poems you are so fond of, but she sings them into the air, finds words tracked across sky and cloud and star. Each tree under her gaze becomes its own poem. She waits for you there, knowing there is nothing but time. She is the one you left behind when you traded your bark for papers, your stones for pens, and the sun's pilgrimage across the horizon for your calendar with its tidy color-coded boxes. When you wake from a dream one morning and smell oak leaves dissolving into the forest floor, you know this is a love letter from her to you. I
0: love that
1: thank you it's this sense for me of um the I, I think of you know earth as the original poem and and uh, and i love the gift of words and poetry of course and sometimes when i just being out you know among the trees or by the sea is more than enough <laughs> just being able to receive that yeah
0: i love that uh, you have a whole um Section called the love of the ancestors. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, I would love for you to say a word about ancestors and paying attention. You know, there's so much um, in our world having to do with finding people we are related to currently and and ancestors, you know, there are the various DNA uh, collecting websites that um, allow us to do that. But I think often we're thinking about who might we find that is alive that we didn't know about, as opposed to really looking back at ancestors who have gone on before. Talk about some of your ancestor work and wh- why it's important to you and and might be important to us.
1: Yeah, after my my mother died about 20 years ago, And I was completely undone by grief, and you know I was 33 at the Mm -hmm. time, and she died relatively suddenly. And I walked into the office of a Jungian analyst who let me grieve, you know, who encouraged me to grieve, and it was such a gift. And part of the part of the gift too was um, really encouraging me to do some work. My father had already died. A few years before her and I wasn't close to him and uh, so basically from in, in a Jungian perspective to have conversations with with those um, the parents and even ancestors further back and the idea being that uh, you know Jung talks about how the you know the unlived lives of our parents and our grandparents and our great-great-grandparents and so forth you know, live on in us and the wounds that they carry live on in us. And of course, now we know from epigenetics and all kinds of other um, research and, and stories that this is, this is actually true, <laughs> that this yes. trauma, the traumas are passed down. And so it became, it really became like a quest for me and a mission and an obsession uh, so much. So I actually have a book coming out this fall on honoring angels, saints and ancestors and, Um, half the book is about my ancestry work in particular. Say the name
0: of that one again.
1: Well, the, the name of the book is called the love of thousands. So the love is my theme this year, but honoring angels, saints, and ancestors, angels,
0: saints, and ancestors.
1: Okay. So this sense of, um, so for me, it started with working to heal the woundedness that I carried Mm -hmm. And at the same time, what I discovered was there's also this <laughs> enormous sense of blessing that also comes down through the generations and the unlived lives of my grandmothers, for instance, that, you know, became an impetus for me to feel this huge sense of gratitude for the ability to do the work that I do in the world and um, and to feel the sense of pride, you know, to imagine my, you know, great, great grandparents and not, uh, you know, l- looking at me And think, you know, sort of being in Marvel at what they created, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a lovely image to have. And I've traveled to many of my ancestral places. I've had that privilege. So that's been a significant part of my journey as well. So anyway, the, the ancestors started to come up through the poems because they are a source, a great source of love in my life as well. Love and support.
0: I love that. So there's that whole section, the love of the ancestors. I would, um, I would like you to pick a favorite poem of yours in that section and share it with us.
1: Yeah. Um, Gosh, it's hard to choose, but (laughs) I, uh, I will, I'll read the poem Riga, which is about my father. Um, And as I mentioned, my father and I had a pretty strained relationship. We actually didn't even talk the few months before he died. And he was, he had a lot of addictions And a lot of my work, my ancestry work, was reaching out and trying to heal this relationship, which came, you know, in many, many different ways over the years. Um, And anyway, he was born in Riga, Latvia. And in 1944, when the Russians invaded, he went to Vienna, where his, his maternal side of the family was from. And he never ever spoke about Latvia ever again, (laughs) never to me. And I didn't even know when I was growing up that I was really, actually as much Latvian as I was Austrian. Wow. So this is uh, a poem about, about that. So Riga, 1944, the year you fled as Russians stampeded, you and your sister grasping the soft hand of your mother on the long train ride through the night. Your father followed much later while your aunt was sent on to Siberia. And from there, a door slammed shut inside and you kept the story secret even though the old photo albums show photos of you as a boy playing by the Baltic Sea, a curtain of trees behind you. I know there was ice cream and sand pails swimming and giggles but the winters were dark and cold and soon a fire began to burn the cathedral tower, a wild flame scattering the past. Once you left this place became a distant echo, a cavern you filled with Johnny Walker Red and Bloody Marys. I traveled there years after you left this bright world. It felt like a door sealed shut was pried open, rusty hinges crying out, a path into a garden choked by weeds, and a single wild rose emerging—the one whose scent makes me think of you, the one I had to write about to speak aloud.
0: Mm. So, and what that kind sense, of? Yeah, yeah go, go ahead, Christine. Well, I was just going to
1: say that sense of, uh, for me, a lot of the ancestry work is is speaking aloud some of these stories that yes. were, you know, hidden away for various reasons so that's
0: powerful, number one, and what kinds of questions do you ask after this particular poem? Uh,
1: well, one of them is, what are the traumas your ancestors endured that sealed shut doors inside them? And it might not even be that you know the specific trauma, um, you know, it might be grandparents who fought in, you know, World War One or the Civil War, or, you know, you might but you might have enough of a sense from a cultural standpoint to be able to imagine or, you know, to imagine some of your your grandmothers and great grandmothers and to know that they weren't allowed to, you know, live out their dreams because of the expectations of the culture they live in. So yeah, so what lies hidden waiting to be excavated and opened into the luminous light of truth? So what are the things that if you if you gave time and space to instead of trying to push down and suppress how that might open a door or a a gate. (laughs) And, and what,
0: what affirmation would you use after a poem like this?
1: I will tell the stories that have been hidden away.
0: Mm. Wow. (laughs) That's, that is powerful. Um, All right. One more one more very short one. It's at the end called whatever I find that really jumped out at me. Um, Yeah, uh, for for a lot of reasons, but I, I would love for you to talk about this and read this one.
1: Whatever I find hidden among the stones piled by lakes edge, a beetle, a coin, a candy wrapper. Let it be a portent, a cipher. Let me seek a new direction among what is hidden, lost, discarded, rather than always grasping at some bright, invisible future.
0: Say a word about that. I, 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 yeah, I just, I really appreciated this.
1: Um, yeah I re- actually remember writing this poem and I was I actually went to a hotel in Galway City where I live to go write some poems for a few days and it's it's next to this lake and um, and I walked down to the lake and I was a little disappointed to see some discarded things there and then I thought well you know of course I wish that but they, that wasn't so. And, you know, could, do I have to always be looking for things that I would consider beautiful? Or sometimes could I sit with what has been discarded and how might that be a metaphor for the things, the discarded things of my life that actually could be an opening into some new awareness or some new gift, as opposed to always wanting the new or wanting the shiny or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: I like that. Oh, I just feel like this book is just one big invitation. <laughs> um, and and I'm always uh I, I'm always excited when people get turned on to poetry. So I love having poets. I've had a couple on the podcast before and and uh, I'm great so grateful for you and for your work uh top to bottom from Abbey of the Arts to all of the books you've written, but this current one, Love Holds You, Poems and Devotions for Times of Uncertainty. Absolutely beautiful. Christine, thank you. It's always a joy to have you.
1: Thank you so much, Anita. I appreciated it. And
0: to everyone else, as always, I say, keep the conversation going.